This is a case from the Heki Ganraku. Pai Chang's Wild Ducks. Introduction. The whole world does not hide it. His entire capacity stands alone, revealed. He encounters situations without getting stuck. With every move, he has the ability to assert himself. In his phrases, there is no partiality. Everywhere, he has the intention to kill people. But say, in the end, where do the ancients go to rest? To test, I'm citing this old case. Look. The case. When great master Matsu and Pai Chang were walking together, they saw some wild ducks fly by. The great master asked, what is this? Pai Chang said, wild ducks. Great master said, where have they gone? Chang said, they've flown away. The great master then twisted Pai Chang's nose. Pai Chang cried out in pain. Then the great master said, where have they ever flown away? The verse. Wild ducks, who knows where they are? Matsu saw them coming, and they had words with each other. He told all about the scene of the clouds on the mountains and the moon over the sea. As before, Chang didn't understand, but say, and but said they've flown away. Pai Chang wanted to fly away, but Matsu held him fast. Speak, speak. We have many koans in our tradition. You know, and, and sometimes I, I think of these koans as letters from a dear friend who cares, who really deeply cares. A dear friend that knows us far better than we know ourselves. Maybe a friend that tells us what we don't want to hear. What we refuse to reconcile with. To accept, to admit about ourselves, about lives, about everything we know, everything we don't know. A friend who intimately understands the, the root cause or root causes of our fears, restlessness, and a friend that can relate to how we feel with a skillful hand that guides and nurtures and smacks as well, right in our face. knows how to relate, and at the same time, knows how to snap us out of emotional entanglements. If we dare to listen, 
if we dare to heed the advice. It's a hand, it's a guiding hand that knows how to kill and to give life in one blow. And koans, they vary. Koans, many of them, each one points at the essential matter in a different way. The point of how we cause harm and suffering and also to our innate ability to disentangle or to not cause harm and suffering. To not cause harm and suffering, to do good, to do good for others, it's all there, available to all. How to be of benefit to others. Are we listening? Or how are we listening to koans? Does a koan create some level of opening? You now I think of those of you who, who, those of us who practice koans and work on koans, and you, you come down to Dokusan and you express the the Quran or your understanding of the Quran. And then maybe you pass the Quran. You move on to the next one. What does it mean to pass? What does it mean to express? What it is that we what is it that we are expressing? Quans, if a Quran does not create some level of opening in us, if it doesn't deeply relate to how we are, where we are, how we feel about about our lives, then it becomes a a game. Actually, it becomes an intellectual game. We're trying to maybe outsmart the the koan or the story that the koan brings up. So rather than, than, than use it to shatter, to break through something, we actually do the opposite. We can do the opposite with it. So when you walk on a koan and you sit with it and you sit with it and something opens up and you have some level of, or some sense of understanding what the koan is pointing at, then ask, does it really do I feel a little bit more free? Just a little bit, maybe a tiny bit more free in my life, in carrying the burden I'm carrying around. Because if it doesn't, I would suggest sit with it longer. There's no rush. It's not about how many koans we go through. All koans essentially point to one thing. All koans teach one principle. Same with Aikido, you know, we have lots of techniques in Aikido. Remember my first teacher used to say that the techniques are uh, 
like a bridge to understand something, to go somewhere. All techniques do that. All koans do that. In a way, one koan is enough. One at a time. One koan is all we need. And if we can't see that, then we can pass 1,500 koans or go through 1,500 koans and miss the point. And it does happen. Meaning we can't get good at expressing and we can't get good at making the whole koan study another way to feel good about ourselves. Passed the corn, great. I failed, shit. Meanwhile, it's neither this nor that. Right? It's not about feeling good about ourselves, it's about creating an opening. So during the last stage, if you remember, I spoke about the difference between being of service to the ephemeral and being of service to the essential. And I talked about the relation to experiencing the absolute within the relative. And this koan, today's koan, actually can be helpful in expanding on it and, and driving this message further, deeper, to a point of that actually can shatter both the relative and the absolute. The teacher in this case is the great master Matsu, Obaso, an 8th century Chinese teacher, was a Dharma grandson of Huinan, the 6th patriarch. And he's actually one of the most important teachers in the Zen tradition. And it says that he strode like an ox and glared like a tiger. And he had a bone-chilling presence that revealed an astonishing freedom. A beautiful description. Huh? Bone-chilling presence that revealed an astonishing freedom. I mean, imagine meeting someone like that, right? What does it do? Does it scare you? Does it paralyze you? Or does it free you? Does it create a in our minds, a mountain that we can never, ever reach, a peak that we can never reach, or, or does it resonate? In one of his talks, he said, the phenomenal is identical with the transcendent, and the born is none other than the unborn. If you have a thorough realization of this, you can live your daily life Wear your clothes, eat your meals, nourish your inner womb of holiness, and pass your time as befitting your conditions and the tides of human affairs. And this is what we always talk about, right? I just sent an email yesterday about uh, this Ango coming a couple of weeks. And I mentioned that if we don't understand that our life is our practice, then we don't understand Zen. 
We don't even know how to practice, let alone understand what it's about. Right? We have to know, we call ourselves practitioners, we have to know what it is that we are practicing, first and foremost. And we have to understand that it is our lives, it is moment by moment, it is the most difficult moments in our lives. Those are potentially the greatest gateways. So to have a thorough realization of this truth means to recognize that our fleeting lives with the haze, the likes, the dislikes, all of it, never are part of the eternal flow. And it means to be verified by the simple aspects of everyday life. It also means that those simple activities of everyday life essentially nurture the inner womb of holiness or the Buddha. This is how we nurture. This is how we recognize or can recognize Buddhahood. And so we practice carefully and meticulously because we understand that we want to nurture the sacred fetus. Yeah, but to nurture it correctly, we also need to not make a big deal out of the practice. That would be too much effort. So not to make a big deal out of the practice, also not to make a big deal out of ourselves. Either way, that would be, or that would result in wasted efforts. So to nurture correctly means to pay attention, care deeply, appreciate this. Which brings us back to the question, what, it is that, what is it that we are nurturing? What is it, what is this? What are we talking about? In the introduction it says, the whole world does not hide it. His entire capacity stands alone, revealed. He encounters situations without getting stuck. With every move, he has the ability to assert himself. In his phrases, there is no partiality. He, in this case, is Matsu, the great master Matsu. But this is also the same, the same one that Shakyamuni and Maitreya are serving or ser being uh, of service too. But how about changing the, the words in this introduction and reading it like this? It is not hidden in you. Your entire capacity stands alone, revealed. You have the ability to encounter situations without getting stuck. And you have the ability to assert yourself fully at any moment. How does that sound? It's easier maybe to admire somebody else who is at that level. But what about trusting our own ability, our own capacity to do the same, to be the same? same as the great master Matsu. 
How about that? What did he see? What does he see? That we are unable to, refusing to, not willing to listen? What's the difference? Can you trust it? That you have that capacity, that ability. Now before we have, before we trust, we have to doubt. And so we need to raise the vital question of any spiritual journey. What is this? And to raise that question actually means to, to question all our firm assumptions about this about everything. And we actually examine what most take for granted, what we take for granted. Of course, I know what that is. Wild ducks, he said. How do you know? How do we know? Because if I don't ask, how do I know? I'm not really asking, what is this? You can't put the question, what is this? On top of, I know what that is. It just won't work. So this koan brings up an exchange between Matsu and his disciple Pai Chang, who later became a great Zen master. Some of you remember from working on koans with Pai Chang. But at that time, Pai Cheng was not yet fully awakened. So as the two of them went walking, <coughs> a flock of wild ducks flew by. And Matsu pointed at them and asked, what is it? Now ordinarily, this is not a question that passes through people's minds, is it? And how often do you actually stop and think, what is this? What is this? What is this? we actually take a step in the morning with the assumption or assumptions that we know everything about everything, at least around us. We wake up in our beds. We know what that is. We step onto the floor. We know what that is. We boil the water to, coffee, to make coffee or tea. We know what that is. We know what we want. We know what we don't want. Is there any room in our moment-by-moment -moment daily life for what we don't know? Is there any room for bringing up that question or raising the, the doubt? Or is it reserved for Sunday morning from 8.30 to 11? And then the rest of the time, we function within the known. So we ask, what is it? I think people actually do question, but many, maybe many do that when they smoke or ingest something. And actually it does, it does when you smoke. I did have an experience many years ago. 
traveling in Thailand. It's quite a scary experience. I smoked something and then everything I knew was gone. Everything I thought I knew was gone for that time and a few hours actually of an experience and yeah, you, you don't know what you're looking at anymore. It could be thrilling, but it could be very scary at the same time. I'm not suggesting you smoke something today, but I am suggesting you question. Actually, if you look at something, whatever that is, it could be just a table, a chair, whatever. If you look at it and look at it and look at it, there is a point that it starts to lose its firm, or you lose the firm idea of what it is you think you're looking at. And if you stay with that longer, you don't know what it is. And in a way, our zazen is, is meant to be exactly that. But instead of looking at a table or a chair, we're looking at the one who is looking. So we have to sit with the finger pointing at this one here that is sitting, and then ask that question, what is this? What is it? Not what I know, what is it? We do often actually waste sitting periods indulging on what we think about what this is or what we know what this is. When we speak of right effort, we bring that into zazen. It would be very important to examine how we sit. Am I actually asking that question? So Matsu asked that question. Of course, he did not ask that question because he was confused about what is it. He knew. He knew how to use that. He knew how to use what was available at that moment and try to help his disciple to awaken. At that moment, that was available. And as the introduction says, everywhere he had the intention to kill people. So wherever they were, whatever they did, as a teacher, he had one intention, to kill his disciples. How many of us want to die? Unfortunately, the only way to, to give life is to kill. The only way to trust is to doubt first. And that is a shortcut, actually. So Matsu asked, what is it? And Pai Chang said, wild ducks. Hakuin commented on this, saying, the straightforward mind is the site of enlightenment. So what is he saying? The straightforward mind says, this is wild ducks. Is he wrong? Do we have to let go of wild ducks in order to let go? In other words, do we have to let go of knowing 
we call these wild ducks. Then we have to speak gibberish in order to let go of words that make sense in our minds. What would you say if you were there? Would you say wild ducks? Or would you stop and try to think about some clever Zen answer? Or would you just flap your hands as if you have wings? What would you do? The straightforward mind is the site of enlightenment. This is the same as accessing the unknown through the known. This means rejecting nothing. But it does mean questioning. Right? So there was nothing wrong with Pai Chang's answer. But Matsu wanted to see how does he understand the true state of wild ducks. So he asked, where have they gone? Fine, wild ducks. Where are they now? And Pai Chang said, they've flown away. You remember Hakuin's line from the Song of Zazen, in going and coming, never leave home. And the wild ducks actually know how to come and go without leaving home. But Pai Chang was not quite there yet. And so Matsu twisted his nose forcefully. Pai Chang cried out in pain. And then Great Master asked him, when have they flown away? And the footnote under that line says, and the line that Matsu twists no says, the nostrils born out of his parents are in his hands of someone, in the hands of someone else. Pai Chang's nose in is, is in somebody else's hands. Who is that other? Oh, who was Pai Chang serving at that moment? Who are we serving when we know when we say I know what that is? And Hakuin commented on Pai Chang's answer, saying, Whoops, damn, got away. Not the wild ducks. The opportunity got away. Why? Because we're too busy. We're too busy trying to concoct, to create, to defend, to run away from, to run towards, to succeed, to not fail. Too busy. And we miss opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to awaken. for the sake of serving something. 
commentary, it says, when teachers of our school help people, they must make them penetrate through. You see that Pai Chang didn't understand that he did not avoid cutting his hand on the point. Matsu just wanted to make him understand this matter. Thus it is said, when you understand, you can make use of it everywhere, wherever you are. If you don't understand, then the conventional truth prevails. And you've heard that many times, that line, when we don't understand, the conventional truth prevails. When we do understand, the, con the conventional truth becomes an opening. The known becomes the gateway to the unknown. Because the known is the unknown, as we chant over and over again. Form is no other than emptiness, emptiness no other than form. But what do we think it means? Or how can we chant that and yet try to reject something in order to find something else? Or reject what we don't like about our lives, thinking that that is an obstacle to what we want. We reject one thing, we reject everything. We embrace one thing, we embrace everything. We can't just chant things, those words, they may be nice, but we can't just chant them without working on embodying them moment by moment in our lives, because that would be a waste. Not only that, that will not be practicing correctly. And so the commentary says, it's also necessary when encountering circumstances and meeting conditions to turn them around and return them to oneself. To have no gaps at any time is called the ground of nature, bright and clear. So to turn things around, means what? Means to look at things not from a fixed position of I am the one who is looking and what I'm looking at is moving and I'm not. You remember that from what we studied, the book study last tango? Again, Jokoan, the example of the boat that it feels as if the shore is moving and the boat is not one analogy. It's the same, right? Because there are many ways to point at the same thing, which is fine. We should. We do many techniques to understand the principles of Aikido. We, we go through many quants. We go through a lot in order to understand, to allow the, the meaning to penetrate deeply. Look at this exchange again. Matsu asked, what is it? Pai Chang said, wild ducks. Matsu asked, where have they gone? Pai Chang said, they've flown away. Now look at that exchange. How do we understand this? Right? Conventionally and logically, we see this as one, two, three, four. And it makes sense to see it this way. But if we want to see this as an opportunity, then we have to change the way we are looking at even this, even reading that or listening to that exchange. 
not just because it makes sense then we should see it as one, two, three, four. It's actually one, 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 one. Each line is an opportunity. Each line offers a gateway, as in each breath offers a gateway. We try to understand a koan, we try to figure out what's going on here. Who gained? Who lost? Who's on top of who? What's the point? And when we try to understand it, it's where we miss the point. Because we, we take it and we bring it into a logical way of thinking, and the logic actually kills it. Because logically, we know. Or if we don't know logically, then we can figure it out. Maybe become more logical about it. But even with that, it doesn't mean to reject logic. It doesn't mean to reject the thinking mind and not to use it. It just means to use it correctly in the way it's meant to be used. And then when we do think one, two, three, four, obviously that creates a difference or separation between one and two and three and four, and that brings up discriminating consciousness that prefers to be at number four than at number one, or prefers to be Matsu than Pai Chang, especially after having the nose twisted falsely. And that's the point of the nose being twisted, to snap us out of that logical, weaving, creating mind of ours. It wasn't about inflicting pain, just another skillful means. The commentator says that Pai Chang cried out in pain. If you see it as such, then the whole world does not hide it, and it is perfectly manifest everywhere. And take a Tenke Denson, uh, 18th century teacher in our lineage. You may remember the name from uh, when we chant the lineage. He said, after all, there is nothing outside of knowing that what is painful hurts, and knowing that what is and what itches, itches. Right? So if something itches, it itches. If something is painful, it is painful. That is realization. But I don't want the pain. Where do we go with that? I don't want the pain is actually, if there is pain and I don't want the pain, it makes sense. Nobody wants pain. But the pain is a gateway, nonetheless. 
Because wild ducks is a point of entry, and the pain is a point of entry. You see one, you see it all. As in the saying, penetrate one place and you penetrate a thousand places, 10,000 places, all at once. Does it have to be painful? Does it have to be painful? The fact is, is that it is painful. That we go through difficulties, challenges, agony. We have no choice about that. So the question is, do we have to go through that in order to awaken? Or can we awaken regardless? And for Pai Chang, the story did not end there with the twisting of the nose. <clears throat> when Matsu went up to the hall the next day, as soon as the congregation had assembled, Pai Chang came forward and rolled up his bowing mat. Matsu immediately left his seat. After he had returned to his abbot's quarter, he asked Pai Chang, I had just gone up to the hall and had not yet preached. Why did you roll up the mat right away? In other words, why did you leave before I got a chance to give a talk? And then Pai Chang said, yesterday I had my nose twisted by you, teacher, and it hurts. And Matsu said, where were you keeping your mind yesterday? And Pai Chang answered, today the nose no longer hurts. And Matsu said, you have profound knowledge of today's affair. Is that clear? You have profound knowledge of today's affair. Yesterday's hurt, today no longer hurts. Of course, it doesn't sound like anything special. Because it's not special. That's what makes it so special, because it's not special. It's not anything more than what we go through moment by moment. Pai Chang then bowed and returned to his attendant's quarters, crying. One of his fellow attendants asked, why are you crying? Pai Chang said, go ask our master. So the attendant went to ask Matsu. And Matsu said, go ask Pai Chang. Opportunity after opportunity after opportunity, right? So when the attendant returned to the quarters, he asked to ask Pai Chang. Pai Chang laughed loudly. The attendant said, you were just crying now, and now you're laughing. What's going on? And Pai Chang said, I was crying before, and now I'm laughing. It's beautiful to see how something has changed. In Pai Chang's understanding, something is opening up. Right? One day he was crying, I mean, he was hurting, and the next day he wasn't hurting anymore. Then he was crying, then he was laughing later. Is that not flow? 
Where is the hindrance? Where is the problem? Well, yeah, we want to laugh. We don't want to cry. We want the day after the pain, not the day of the pain. You know, our lives are made up with many experiences and, and each experience actually offers an equal opportunity to embrace the totality because each experience is the totality. How could it not be? How could something be outside of totality? How could anything be a part of one? So to embrace every experience, whether we like it or not, it's a different question. It may be a viral question, but not to realization. Because what it is that we are realizing does not differentiate between crying and laughing. Actually, what it is that we are realizing is, is free to express itself as crying, as laughing, as joy, as pain. It is free to, and it is expressing itself, clearly. So Pai Chang said, yesterday I was in pain, and today the nose no longer hurts. And Master said, you have profound understanding of Profound knowledge of today's affair. You know, and when we lose ourselves gladly to the experience, the experience will gladly kill us. Or when we are willing to lose ourselves to the experience, the experience offers free killing. Put a sign out the door, you know. We, we kill freely. <laughs> that would be cool. Just come in, we'll take care of that for you. No, actually we won't. We will allow you to see that for yourself. To allow the experience is in Dongshan's word. When hot, let it be so hot that it kills you. When it's cold, let it be so cold that it kills you. Any experience. The verse says, wild ducks gathering in flocks. Here's another one, the footnote says. Here's another wild duck. And then, who knows where they are? And the footnote says, why use wild ducks? They are as numerous as hemp or millet seed. Well, use whatever you want. Why wild ducks? Why not? Matsu saw them coming and they had a few words with each other. And the footnote says underneath, what end is there to creating complications? What did they say? Matsu alone recognizes the outstanding one. Who is the outstanding one? 
Pai Chang actually became a great teacher. But this is not about Pai Chang. Well, it is in the story, but it's really not about Pai Chang. And it's not about Matsu. All koans are always only about your potential, your ability to see through, to cut through, to awaken. And all koans are urgently suggesting, showing. You can do it. You have what it takes. Do it now. Do it today. Don't wait. Commentary says, these days some people say, <coughs> where, there are, where there is fundamentally no enlightenment, they construct the gate of enlightenment and establish this affair. If you view it this way, you are like a flea on a lion's body feeding itself on the lion's flesh. Haven't you seen where an ancient said, if the source is not deep, the stream is not long. If the wisdom is not great, the vision is not far-reaching. If you entertain the understanding that enlightenment is a construct, how could the Buddhist teaching have come down to this present? So we create. We create in our minds. We create all kinds of things before we stop practicing. And we actually create a lot of things while we are practicing of the practice itself. We can't help but do that. That's where Ango comes in, right? Because we have those strong tendencies to create, because we fall back on old habits, we have an Ango twice a year an opportunity to go deeper, an opportunity to examine, to examine what we think about this, what we think about ourselves, what we think about our practice, and where we think we are in, on the path of practice. This is my fifth angle, sixth angle, a hundredth angle. Well, it's not. It's not. How could it be? It's another opportunity to examine. What do I know and how much of it is real and what do I trust? How much am I defining this? Because the definition keeps it locked. And when we define this, we want to hold on to this. And we want to hold on to this. We realize this is fleeting. It's moving. The wild ducks are flying. Where are they going? Where did they come from? If we define them, they're here and gone. And then we waste energy on trying to keep them. 
And if they're gone, we try to get them back or lament. Wasting a lot of energy. This is why we need to examine, in this angle, we will examine right effort. How do we use energy? How much? You'll be amazed. Actually, I hope you'll be amazed. Shocked how much energy we waste on trying to hold on. Trying to hold on with what, or to what we think. Trying to hold on or to bring back memories of what we lost, what we think we lost. Trying to arrive somewhere else. What is it? Wild ducks. Where are they now? Flown away. When did they ever flow, fly away? Where did they come from? Where are they going? Just look. You'll see. So next Sunday, I'm planning to talk a little bit about uh, the Ango. I sent a letter. If you have not looked at it yet, look at it. Uh, look at the uh, Ango commitment form. Take time to examine what it is you need to work on. Make commitments. Show up. Be there. Be there with an understanding that if you are practicing correctly, you are embracing all aspects of your life. To be continued. Thank you.